It is Thursday, November 7th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York, and it is snowing. So welcome to our Week 10 Preview Podcast presented by Manscaped.com. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola, and we have hit our lone six-team bye week of the season. That means no Broncos, no Jaguars, no Texans, no Patriots, no Eagles, no Washington players. Jared, I picked up Gus Edwards mm-hmm. and Daryl Henderson this week in a, a, tw- a regularly sized 12-team league. I'm going to be deciding between those guys for mm-hmm. a running back spot on a team that has Sony Michelle and Leonard Fournette on bye. Who's yeah. your Who's your six-team bye pick up this week? Yeah, both those running backs in the top 40 in our rankings. Um, I'll be starting Chester Rogers in, I think, at least two of my leagues, um, you know, who... who Looks like the number two wide receiver in Indy against the Dolphins, so you know that's that's kind of where I'm at. I guess before we get to those games, who would you start between Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson? Assuming Malcolm Brown is back and it's trending that way, I would go Gus Edwards. Yeah, that's probably where I'm leaning to, especially because I expect them to dominate the Bengals. I got some notes on Gus for you for, right. for later in the show here. That I think right. will make you happy. We'll save any further for for those games when they come up. We have two more bye weeks beyond this one. Four teams in each of those. Make sure you look at those. Plan accordingly at this point before everybody's in the scramble for those. We're going to hit on some potential bye week fillers for week 10 as we go through every post-Thursday night game. And if you are listening to this podcast after Chargers Raiders, I hope that you enjoyed Mike Williams' night. Yes, yes. He's scoring tonight. Arizona at Tampa Bay. The Bucks are four and a half point favorites. That's <laughs> down from a six point open. It still strikes me as high, though. Yeah, it's high. Yeah, it's, it's high. I, mean, I, I think both offenses are going to put a lot of points on the board here. Yeah, it's a 52-point over-under. It's the highest of the week, even though it's down two points from where it opened. Mm-hmm. Still the highest of the week. We've got no practice still for Chase Edmonds. Not a surprise. It was expected to be a multi-week absence for him. We had a full practice from David Johnson, though, on Wednesday. He says he is, quote, definitely playing. So the obvious question is, what happens with him after Kenyon Drake yeah. break out of Miami week? I mean, we, we don't know for sure. We won't know until this game starts. Um, th- there was a note from one of the Cardinals beat writers that he was saying he expects, and I don't think it was a report, it was more of a guess. And he, he thinks David Johnson and Kenny Drake will get on the field together quite a bit. It makes sense. You know, Dr- Johnson, one of the best pass-catching running backs in the league, and Drake can do that too. The issue here is the matchup. The Bucks are first in football outsiders run D. They're also second in football outsiders running back coverage rankings. They've allowed the third fewest running back catches, the fourth fewest running back receiving yards. So, Tough matchup for both both running backs. Yeah, so it would make sense for Arizona to get both of these guys on the field so that they can start the play with the Bucks, not knowing which guy the ball is going to, not knowing what's going on, especially for a pass offense that tends to be short range anyway. Mm-hmm. You want to put as many options on the field as possible, I would imagine. Looking back at David Johnson with Chase Edmonds around, though they shared the field plenty, but... We basically had no David Johnson in Week 7. That was the Giants game that we all know about and are under rehash. He missed Week 8, Week 9. Before that, Week 6, 12-5 carries for David Johnson over over Chase Edmonds. 20 total opportunities versus 7 for Edmonds. Before that, 22-12 for Johnson, 22-6 for Johnson, 20-5 for Johnson. So... It seems at this point like we were getting close to an even split, but it really wasn't that close before David Johnson got hurt. And that, that's sort of what I'm expecting is Johnson to return as the lead back here. Like my guess would be something like a two-to-one touch split in favor of David Johnson. So to me, Johnson basically a must-start. You know, he, mm-hmm. He's a borderline RB1. 
you know, the matchup again, obviously, here. It's, and then Kenny and Drake, I think, is definitely in play as running with Derek. I, I would use Drake over Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson this week. Yes, I absolutely would as well, especially because we've seen Arizona throw a lot to their running backs and because they don't have clear red zone options ahead of these guys. Yep. Even if Kenyon Drake is low volume, he could be in the red zone plans very easily. And again, even though it's a tough matchup on the ground, I think Arizona moves the ball through the air. That helps both running backs and it helps both their, their touchdown upside. Mention how tough the matchup is for rushing. It is the top scoring matchup for quarterbacks. Kyler Murray, not the safest option in fantasy, but he carries as much upside as anyone at the position. Yeah, but I'd be excited to use Kyler this week. Uh, the Bucks have given up a top five quarterback finish in three of the last five weeks now. Christian Kirk. Only Robert Woods and Mike Williams have seen more targets among wide receivers this year without a touchdown reception. Christian Kirk, since he returned from his ankle injury, 11 and 5 targets in two games. The five targets, of course, against the Niners, only caught two of those. Did have rushing attempts in each of his past three games, so they want to get him the ball. This is the perfect situation for him to get the ball. I think it's a great week for Christian Kirk. Yeah, I mean, last week was Kirk's first game of the season with fewer than four catches, just his second with fewer than eight targets. Um, the Bucks are the best matchup for wide receivers by adjusted fantasy points allowed. So I would definitely be using Kirk here. I think Larry Fitzgerald is the tougher call. And he, he's just disappeared lately. <laughs> 3.7 targets, 2.3 catches per game over his last three. His dot is way down. It's at uh, 6.7 yards per target over the past five games here. So again, the, the matchup I think puts him in play. I think going forward, Fitz is someone I wouldn't want to use, but here I think he's a decent wide receiver three. Yeah, 11 total targets over the past three games, three, four, and four. So not a strong option, but definitely an option because they're playing against Tampa Bay. It's probably going to be tough to run the ball, so it would be more favorable to pass. He has played, well, actually, recently he his playing time dipped some. It was 73 and 74% weeks five through seven. The past two weeks, he jumped back up to 80%. 95%. So Larry Fitzgerald's been on the field. He's just not getting targets. We'll see where that goes from here. Again, playing him against Tampa Bay, trying not to play him against most other teams yep. right now. Yep, exactly. No one else is really getting the ball in Arizona enough to be a serious factor. Keyshawn Johnson was the third receiver against the Niners. He played 44% of the time. The game before that, Demir Bird played 88%. Right. And then he was a healthy scratch against San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping they get Andy Isabella more involved after <laughs> that long touchdown on Thursday night against San Francisco. You're not using Isabella yet, but keep an eye on him. If he does you know, emerge as the third wide receiver, I think he could be worth adding in deeper leagues. He's caught all three of his targets so far. Apparently, uh, Cliff Kingsbury said like they weren't gonna, yeah. they weren't looking at a huge jump for Andy Isabella. Yep. He's coming along, basically. Yep. On the Tampa side, O.J. Howard put in a full practice Wednesday, missed the past two games with his hamstring injury. Is the Cardinals' tight end matchup strong enough for even O.J. Howard? That's that's the big question. I mean, it's O.J. freaking Howard. He's still really good, and this is a great matchup. He's averaging just three targets per game this season. That's obviously the risk, but you know he's he's sitting. I think he's right inside the top ten in our tight end rankings. Like if you don't have one of those top, I think it was eight. Now it's seven with Evan Ingram out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't have one of those guys, I think Howard makes sense just for the upside this week. Yeah, I mean absolutely. He he's in a matchup where even if he just sees four or five targets again, mm-hmm. he could easily have a nice game. And frankly, if the Bucks don't want to use him then it would you would think that they would have traded him at the trade deadline. If they don't think, like him yeah. at this point, you would think they would have moved him. So because they didn't, let's assume that they at least like him somewhat, maybe not as much as the previous staff. The Cardinals have allowed 2.2 more PPR points per game, two tight ends than any other defense so far. And there's another 4.1 points per game separating <laughs> the number two team, the Bucks, from the number three team, the Raiders. 
eight more receptions, 135 more yards, three more touchdowns Arizona has allowed to the the position than any other defense. Yeah, and we'll we'll watch Cam Brate, too, because it it would help Howard if Brate remains limited like he was last week. He only played 11 snaps with that rib injury. Now, he's sort of just been annoying and really seeing just about as much pass volume as O.J. Howard. So if Brate's out, that would make Howard a bit safer. Did put in a full practice Wednesday, though, so I wouldn't hold my breath for that one. Ronald Jones is the quote-unquote starter, finally, and he faces a Cardinals defense that's allowing 100 rushing yards per game to lead backs over the past seven games. Within that span, every single opponent had a running back go for at least 15 carries, and the only one that didn't hit 18 carries was the Niners. They just split 27 of them between Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman last week. I mean, I maybe I'm getting suckered in, but I feel pretty good about using Ronald Jones this week. I mean, Bruce Arians came out on Monday and said Jones is our starter going forward. He's earned it. Um, good matchup, like you said. I also like that Jones set a season high with 18 routes run last week. He still only caught two passes. You know, 18's not a massive number, but if he can, you know, give us two to three catches per game, that definitely helps. And when you say pretty good, that's with air quotes around it, because it's in a week where we're talking about whether to start Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson. (laughs) Exactly. Jameis Winston gets the third most positive scoring matchup for quarterbacks. Jimmy Garoppolo, of course, threw four touchdown passes against this defense last week. He was the third quarterback this season to hit four touchdown passes against Arizona, and two others have thrown three touchdown passes. Yeah, and Arizona's pass defense has not been better since Patrick Peterson returned. They've actually allowed a higher completion rate, more (laughs) yards per game, and the same exact number of touchdowns per game with Peterson as without him. Kind of makes you wonder why they didn't trade Patrick Peterson at the deadline. Kansas City at Tennessee. The Chiefs are six-point favorites because we're all ready for Patrick Mahomes to return. He put in a full practice Wednesday. That's the cheat code for all receivers on the Kansas City side. I mean, you're obviously playing Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill. Sammy Watkins has seen eight and ten targets in two games since returning from his injury. He looks like a fairly easy start as well. Yep, back to you know full playing time for Watkins, uh, running your out on about 90% of the dropbacks. Like you said, 18 targets over the last two games. Tennessee's been pretty tough against wide receivers. They did just lose Malcolm Butler, one of their starting cornerbacks. So with Mahomes back, it's not a matchup I'm, I'm scared of for these wideouts. Absolutely. Demarcus Robinson was third among Chiefs wideouts in playing time last week, only at 41% snap share. That was his lowest of the season. Maybe that rebounds this week with the offense back to full power with Patrick Mahomes. I mean, if you have Matt Moore back there, you know that he's not exploiting all of the options. So maybe yeah. you protect him a little bit more. Maybe you, you line things up a little differently. Demarcus Robinson's not somebody that I would tout this week. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking way down the list, he obviously gains upside with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, I'd say he's only in play because of the six teams on bye week, but there, there's obviously upside with Mahomes back. And Nicole Hardman's been at 20% or less in yeah. two straight, so he's not a factor at this point. Not a factor, though. It does seem like when he's on the field, they're designing plays to get the ball in his hands, but you know, I, I would definitely rather play Robinson. If you are looking for somebody who will have one catch for <laughs> 73 yards, then Nicole Hardman's your guy. Yep. But yeah, boom bust. Yep. Damian Williams is a low-end RB2, at least, I would say, in this mm-hmm. week. Last week, he had the 91-yard touchdown run against the Vikings, otherwise just 34 rushing yards on 11 carries. But for the season, according to PFF Scott Barrett, Damian Williams sits 7th in missed tackles forced per touch among all running backs with at least 30 touches. Compare that with teammates Daryl Williams, who is 62nd on that list. LaShawn McCoy is 63rd. That's surprising because I haven't really been impressed with Williams this season and the numbers haven't been good, especially outside of the 91-yard touchdown run last week but I think the key thing is he it looks like Kansas City's recommitted to him I guess as the lead back he played 72 percent of the snaps last week since LaShawn McCoy fumbled in the third quarter of that week eight game 
Damian Williams has seen 21 of the Chiefs' 26 running back touches. Nice. And really, that's all we need is touch volume here. Yep. Even if you don't trust the missed tackles force or whatever other deep stat, if he's the guy playing for Kansas City, then he belongs in fantasy lineups in most cases. Yep. And speaking of ball carriers, let's take a minute to talk about Manscaped. Manscaped is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Jared, when you've been married as long as I have, you need to figure out ways to keep things fresh, ways to impress your mate. I'm not really the clean-shaven type, so I did not know the first thing about manscaping. Honestly, I didn't even know that the term only referred to the Southern Hemisphere. When I learned that, got a little nervous. Fortunately, I got the perfect package kit from manscaped.com. Makes the whole deal so easy. I can highly recommend the Lawnmower 2.0. It's a trimmer that is 100% waterproof. It is safe to touch. It is quiet. It's safe to use on those sensitive areas. You know, you can have it in the shower with you. It, you won't have kids asking why dad has a toy in the bathroom. You can get away with it. You certainly don't have to be my age for this stuff to be important either. You don't have to have kids. Even if you have a baby face like Jared's, if you've only been married for a few years, personal grooming is going to help you impress whoever you're trying to impress. As a listener of the DS podcast, you're eligible to get 20% off and free shipping on all orders at manscaped.com with the code draft sharks that's no space 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com so just head over to their website manscaped.com shop around find the ideal package for you make sure you type in the promo code draft sharks all one word at checkout you can save yourself some money on the Tennessee side Delaney Walker still no practice Wednesday it makes it a solid if he remains out it, that makes it a solid spot for John U. Smith, who's seen seven and five targets the past two weeks. Yeah, matchup isn't great. Uh, Football Outsider says the Chiefs fifth in tight end coverage, their thirteenth in just fantasy points allowed. But yeah, Smith seeing the volume, his his usage was actually better last week than it was in week eight. He ran a route on fifty eight percent of Tannehill's dropbacks. That's a decent number. Yeah, he just didn't face the box this time. Yep. The Chiefs are the second friendliest running back scoring matchup by adjusted fantasy points allowed, but. They've gotten tougher lately. Over the first six games, 5.2 yards per carry allowed to running backs. Over the past three games, just 3.6 allowed. And those games came against Denver with Philip Lindsay, Green Bay with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, and then Dalvin Cook uh, for Minnesota this past Sunday. So they're playing better in run D. They've been playing better in the pass rush. It seems like the Chiefs have made some positive adjustments on defense. Yeah, definitely. So not, not as good a spot as it might look. For Henry, just looking at the season-long numbers, still think it's a nice spot for him. I do, you know, the Titans are always going to attack on the ground. I think mm-hmm. that'll still be the case in this matchup. Um, the Chiefs have actually faced the fourth most running back carries this season, so so teams are trying to exploit that run defense. Yeah, and the Chiefs do still sit 28th in run defense efficiency, according to Football Outsiders, just fourth against the pass. So, I mean, it's still the way that you want to try to attack yeah. them, especially if you're built the way that Tennessee is and you do things the way that Tennessee does. Corey Davis and AJ Brown. Just outside wide receiver three range in our rankings, Davis does climb into the bottom of wide receiver three range for PPR. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think either guy is an attractive option, but they are options. Yeah, they've both seen 18 targets over the past three weeks with Ryan Tannehill, so nothing distinguishing them there. The Chiefs are sixth in adjusted fantasy points to wide receivers, so you know it's kind of surprisingly been a tough matchup for wideouts. Football Outsiders has Kansas City eighth against number one wideouts, fourth against number two wideouts. The, the best matchup actually goes to Adam Humphreys. The Chiefs have allowed the ninth most fantasy points to slot receivers. Humphreys has 14 targets over the past three games, so he's been trailing 
um, Davis and Brown doesn't bring a ton of upside, but again, in this week, especially in a PPR league, if you're if you're hurt, and I think Humphreys is in play. Yeah, for what it's worth, they've played several weeks now without Kendall Fuller in the slot. He might be back this week. He's been dealing with a thumb injury, so it's surprising that he's been out as long as he has. But I mean, that would improve the slot. They still Kendall Fuller wasn't playing spectacularly before he got injured, so I don't think it dramatically changes things though. Not a great spot for Ryan Tannehill. As we mentioned, the pass defense has been much better than the run defense mm-hmm. overall. But Ryan Tannehill has been fantasy's mm-hmm. number four quarterback over his three weeks as Tennessee's starter. The only guys with more fantasy points are Matthew Stafford, Aaron Rodgers, and Russell Wilson. Yeah, and Tannehill's finishes a top 12 fantasy quarterback in each of those three weeks. It, it has sort of been smoke and mirrors. Like, you know, he had, he had the three touchdowns against the Bucks set up by Jameis Winston turnovers. He had a lot of garbage time production last week, but I mean, points are points, and especially with Mahomes back, I think that helps Tannehill. You know, it's more likely the Titans are playing from behind here, so I definitely think uh, he's a spot start option. I think there's better spot start options this week, but in, maybe mm-hmm. in deeper leagues, Tannehill might be your best bet. I really think smoke and mirrors might be a better <laughs> description to say for Josh Allen with John Brown <laughs> on hand there. Yeah. A Buffalo at Cleveland, the Browns are two and a half point favorites. Speaking of Josh Allen, 40 and a half point over under tells you a lot of what you need to know about this one. Not a great fantasy spot, but Josh Allen has thrown for 202, 169, and 160 <laughs> passing yards over the past three games. And yet, he is still quarterback 11 in fantasy points over that stretch. He's had one game under 19 fantasy points all year, you know, depending on your particular format. And that one game was the Patriots game that he left early with a concussion. He's only reached two touchdown passes in three of his eight games. Right. Kind of surprisingly, he's been a high floor, low ceiling fantasy quarterback. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have any finishes better than quarterback eight. But he's only finished outside the top 15 quarterbacks twice. So he's been pretty safe. There's really nothing to worry about with this matchup. The Browns secondary has gotten healthier. But, you know, they're still 18th in football outsiders past the... Cleveland also gave up um, nine carries for 66 rushing yards to Lamar Jackson, the only, you know, mobile quarterback they faced this season. So I think, as as always, Allen brings plenty of rushing appeal here. Yeah, I mean, the fact that Cleveland's secondary is getting healthier doesn't mean a whole lot when you're playing <laughs> exactly. the white Lamar Jackson. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, Josh Allen's in play. He's he finishes. He spends every week higher in our quarterback rankings than I want him to be. I think I spend every Tuesday morning saying I'd put Josh Allen lower, and then I look at his numbers and I'm like, damn. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I'm just like a month ahead of you there. That that was Josh Allen for me for you know all of last season, early this season. But I, I, in the end, you have to you know separate real life from from fantasy football. <laughs> yes, unfortunately, Devin Singletary. It, Brought it to real life last week. He beat Frank Gore 2-1 to in playing time. Beat him 2-1 to in opportunities. Maybe the gap's not that big this week. I, I certainly wouldn't put money down on it being a 2-1 to split this week. But Devin Singletary is clearly the guy that you play in this backfield. And maybe we do see that going forward. Yeah, and even if, you know, let's say the, the carries are split down the middle this week. Even in that case, I still like Singletary. For one, the matchup on the ground is good. Uh, Football Outsider says the Browns 21st in run defense. They have a lot of 5.6 yards per carry over the last four games. They've you know especially struggled over the last month now. And then the, the second thing in, in Singletary's favor is he, he's at least a clear pass catching back here. Mm-hmm. He has 10 targets over the last two games. He's ran a route on 72 and then 61% of Josh Allen's dropbacks. Yeah, so it's a good spot for Devin Singletary, and he's the guy over Frank Gore. John Brown's a weekly starter at this point. Cole Beasley, on the other hand, is the tooth fairy. And when I say he's a tooth fairy, I mean it's fun to believe in him, but if you rely on him, you're going to wind up disappointing your children. 
Cole Beasley touchdown machine. Uh, scores <laughs> right, scores in three exactly. straight games now, but he hasn't topped three catches in any of those four games. Um, Cleveland's also allowed the 10th fewest fancy points to slot receivers. So I would probably lean towards Adam Humphreys over Cole Beasley this week. I would too. And Not to compare, you know, two small white slot guys. but <laughs> Right. Because, because Jared's racist with his receiver <laughs> choices here. Cole Beasley is really not an option unless you expect Buffalo to be trailing big time. And I could certainly imagine Buffalo losing this game or even falling behind and having to play some catch up. I don't think they're going to fall 10 points behind, though, and be desperate. And I think that's what you need for Cole Beasley to actually be attractive at this point. He's reached seven targets in a game four times in eight games so far. Right. I mean, the the chances of Tennessee falling behind big and helping Adam Humphreys are are much better than Buffalo and Cole Beasley. On the Cleveland side, the Bills are the third toughest QB scoring matchup on the Week 10 slate, so Baker Mayfield can keep going to get lemonades for his lady. (laughs) The fourth friendliest matchup to running back scoring, though, and not only is Nick Chubb starting this week, but now we get our first look at Kareem Hunt with the Browns. Yeah, Chubb Chubb remains a must-start You know, for now. We'll see what happens with Kareem Hunt. Hunt, we have no idea how much he's going to play, but you know, again, in this matchup, the Bills 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. We know Hunt's talented. And again, with all these teams on by, I think I think Hunt is in play as a running back three. It's another guy I would use over Gus Edwards and Daryl Henderson. I don't know about those because I have no idea how much work yeah. Kareem Hunt's going to get. Not only has he never played for this team, he hasn't played for anybody in the first half of the season. And since, what was it, like week 11 last yeah, year was the like last that. time he played. Yeah. So I, I would use those guys over Kareem Hunt, but I mean, I certainly can't argue with trying him. It sounds like, from what Freddie Kitchens has said, that they're going to do something with Kareem Hunt. Like, when reporters are asking whether Kareem Hunt's going to infringe on Nick Chubb's workload, Freddie Kitchens is not saying, no, he's not going to, Nick Chubb's our guy. He's like, eh, I think Nick Chubb's a team guy and he wants to win, so he's (laughs) going to be cool with whatever we do. Right, yeah, I I expect Hunt to get at least a handful of carries and just his talent in this match. But I at least think he has more upside than those other guys like Gus Edwards. Even though Edwards probably is safer just because we've seen him this season. Yeah, I would probably play Kareem Hunt over Daryl Henderson if Malcolm Brown's back, Mm -hmm. but not over Gus Edwards. Because I think Gus Edwards is a good bet for seven to eight carries in a spot where, I mean, they could score 50 points. Yep, that makes sense. You kind of have to play Odell Beckham still, but he should see a Tredavious White shadow in this one. And don't be surprised if Jarvis Landry leads in targets again. Mm -hmm. He has led in two straight games. Odell Beckham led... Jarvis Landry and targets in week one and week two. In the six games since then, Odell Beckham has led Landry one time. Yeah, both guys have exactly 67 targets this season. I think the matchup's better for Landry for sure. You know, he's not going to see much of Javius White. The Bills have allowed the third fewest fantasy points to slot receivers, though. They've, they've sort of been tough everywhere. So not, not a great spot for Landry, but with the volume... And again, like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if he sees more targets than Beckham again this week. Yeah, and they're tough on tight ends, they're tough on quarterbacks, so don't expect a big passing day. But, you know, if you need like a a wide receiver three, Jarvis Landry is okay. Yep. Baltimore at Cincinnati. The Ravens are 10-point favorites here. The Bengals are implied for just 17.25 points on the week. We're going to get the first ever start for Ryan Finley. Your guess is as good as mine for what we should expect to see from him. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see. It sounds like some people really liked him coming out of NC State, and he did play pretty well this preseason. This just, to me, this isn't the spot you want to use him. I do think Baltimore's pass defense is going to be one that we're probably going to want to be avoiding now that their cornerbacks are healthy. 
And, you know, the Ravens just play that ball control style of offense. I don't, I don't expect much out of the Bengals offense here. I mean, I think with any quarterback that's like top six in a draft class, you're going to find some draft Knicks who are like, oh, I really liked this guy. He should have been second. He was my QB too. I mean, he had Jacoby Myers and the dude that went to Washington. Calvin Harmon. Yes, the one that I never liked. <laughs> so he he was helped by those guys. Mm-hmm. He had Naheem Hines before this past season as well, and Jalen Samuel. So he was in a pretty good spot with NC State. I don't think that they're going to Ryan Finley because they're like, oh, this dude's surging and he's ready. I think this is a reeling coaching staff that's probably feeling some heat in the seat, and they're like, well, let's see what this guy has before we go draft somebody else in the first round. Exactly. I mean, I think it's an audition. Um, If Finley doesn't show well, they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round this year. I I would say a couple of things for Finley going forward and why I think he's at least worth owning in all two quarterback leagues and maybe worth a stash in deeper one quarterback leagues. AJ Green might be back this week. We'll see. I mean, I think he's going to be back at, at some point, I think. Um, so, you know, couple him with Tyler Boyd. Auden Tate showed pretty well. Joe Mixon. It's a pretty good pass-catching core. And then the Bengals have also been the second-pass-heaviest offense this season. I don't expect that to change going forward. So I think Finley's going to have volume on his side. Because they keep they keep falling way behind opponents. <laughs> yeah. It's just certainly pushing that. Yeah, Zach Taylor said he expected AJ Green to play this week. Then they had a walkthrough, and after the walkthrough, A.J. Green was not feeling very good, so he didn't participate in practice Wednesday. I mean, if you can't make it through a Wednesday walkthrough, I'm definitely not betting on you in a fantasy lineup for Sunday, and it's tough to imagine that A.J. Green's going to be ready to play this Sunday, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, before Wednesday happened, I was sort of ready to say I'd use A.J. Green this week just just because of the talent and all the teams on by, but... Unless we hear that he's ready for a full slate of snaps on Sunday, I would I would try not to use him. And especially after we saw Adam Thielen leave early with his hamstring yeah. and Deshaun Jackson return after weeks and weeks and play all of four downs, A.J. Green is staying far away from a lineup until I see a reason to play him. Really, the only guy that I'm considering here is Tyler Boyd, and he's yeah. a wide receiver three option, I think, this week. Yep, wide receiver three sounds right. You know, Obviously, question marks with Ryan Finley. And then the, the Ravens shut. Boyd down in their first meeting, uh, three catches on seven targets for just 10 yards. And they're probably playing better in pass D now than they were at this point. Yeah, they're definitely healthier. The matchup is solid for Joe Mixon. Baltimore's 24th in rush defense efficiency, but only one running back has topped 65 yards against them this year, and it was Nick Chubb. And the Bengals still have the issue of they're going to need to not let the opponent jump way ahead so that they can still run the ball. I'm not ready to bet that the Bengals are going to do that, and... I don't have any reason right now to bet that Zach Taylor is suddenly going to use Joe Mixon a ton more in the passing game. So, I mean, Joe Mixon's an option, but I'm certainly not excited about him. Right. Last time out before the bye in that Rams game, Mixon carried 17 times and saw four targets. So that that looks good, like on paper. But if you look at his usage, it really didn't change. He still played just 53% of the snaps, had a 34% route rate. You know, they're still using Gio Bernard in the passing game. So in that first meeting against the the Ravens, Mixon had eight carries for 10 yards and two catches for 29 yards. The Bengals on the other side are the friendliest rushing matchup in the league, and that is awful news when you're heading into a matchup with Baltimore. Yeah, in that first meeting, the Ravens ran 76 plays, which is a huge number. They just, you know, controlled the ball. They went 57% run in that first meeting, so I'd expect something similar here. You know, Lamar Jackson didn't have a massive game through the air. He also didn't have Marquise Brown in that game, which, you know, obviously helps here. But uh, Lamar Jackson had 152 rushing yards and a score on the ground, so I think, you know, he's, he's an elite play this week. Mark Ingram, 13 carries, 52 yards and a score in that first game. I'd expect better this time around. It does seem like the Ravens are keeping him 
in that you know 13 to 16 carry range, which is why Gus Edwards is is an option this week because you know it seems like they don't want to overwork Ingram. Yeah. And on this topic, I just saw from Paul Daner Jr. of The Athletic, the Bengals beat writer, that A.J. Green says he is probably not playing this week because the ankle of his is swollen. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, yeah, got to wonder if he's going to be back anytime soon, I guess, though. Yeah, really. Use everything on the Baltimore side, I think. Marquise Brown returned last week, played 57% of the snaps against the Patriots. Saw only four targets, but obviously this is a better spot than facing New England was. He's a low-end wide receiver three because we can't expect huge target volume, but obviously plenty of upside to whatever he does get. Yeah, um, the Bengals have allowed the fifth most catches of 20 yards and the fifth most catches of 40-plus yards, so you know, big play upside for Marquise Brown. Yeah, anybody makes sense against yep. the Bengals at this point. Giants, quote-unquote, at the Jets. Obviously, they share a stadium, so it's not a road game for anybody here. Giants are favored by two and a half points on the road, though. <laughs> Down a half point from where it opened. There will be no Evan Ingram for the Giants. He's out with a midfoot sprain. He called it minor, according to reports. He expects to return after the Week 11 bye. That's well-timed for him. Rhett Ellison has seen 27 targets in five games that he has played without Ingram since the start of last season. That includes six-plus targets in each of his past three games without Ingram in the lineup. That includes seven targets against the Patriots this season in Week Six. I think Ellison is a viable streamer this week. Yes, it feels it feels gross, but he is um, <laughs> in that in that Patriots game, the one that Evan Ingram missed this season. Ellison played a hundred percent of the snaps, ran her out on seventy six percent of Daniel Jones' dropbacks, twenty three percent target share. You know, Ingram's out. Sterling Shepard's probably going to be out too. So you know, the target tree has been condensed here. So I think Ellison, you know, is a pretty good bet to see like you know four to six targets here. Yes, the past five weeks, the Jets have not allowed big numbers to tight ends overall, but the past five weeks have included Zach Ertz catching five for 57, Jason Witten catching five for 57, and Mike Jacecki last week catching six for 95. I don't think this is going to be the last time in this show we talk about Red Ellison. Yeah, um, Football Outsiders has the Jets 17th in tight end coverage, so, you know, a a neutral matchup. Mm -hmm. As you mentioned, Sterling Shepard. Not looking like he's going to play this week. He went to Pittsburgh this week for a concussion consultation. The Giants are even considering shutting down Sterling Shepard for the season at this yeah. point. So don't expect him to be around for Week 10. They do have the bye in Week 11. You know, it would be nice if we could get some new, like if we could get some finality on it over yeah. that stretch to find out whether the Giants are going to IR him so we can just make fantasy plans going forward. Yep, um, definitely plan to be without Shepard, I'd say, for the rest of the season at this point. Um, that that obviously helps Golden Tate, who's already been seeing a, a, a ton of targets. Um, he, he had nine targets um, back in week six when Evan Ingram and Sterling Shepard were out. Darius Slayton had eight targets in that game um, when Shepard and Ingram were out. So I think he's in play. You know, the Jets have been really bad against any wide receiver spot, and especially wide receivers on the left side of the formation where – Slayton has run 58% of his routes. The Jets have allowed the fourth most fantasy points to left wide receivers. Darius Slayton is like Devontae Parker. Like you, If you you can play him because the upside's mm-hmm. there, do not watch him because he right. will have this terrible drop and <laughs> then he will grab this ridiculous leaping touchdown yes. and save his fantasy day for you. Exactly. So just check the final numbers. Yep. Overall, the Jets are the seventh friendliest matchup for wide receivers. Slightly <laughs> negative scoring matchup for running backs. So it's a solid spot for... The wide receiver is obviously not a negative spot for Saquon Barkley because you're playing him against everybody. Yeah, and, and Daniel Jones, he has two weekly finishes in the top two this season, but he hasn't <laughs> finished higher than ninth and then 17th in any of the other ones. And Evan Ingram being out, Sterling Shepard being out, definitely docks him. So 
not excited to play Daniel Jones. You know, he's in the mix with like Ryan Tannehill for me in that in that range. I think Daniel Jones is what I keep telling myself that Josh Allen is every week, and it's not. <laughs> it's Daniel Jones. Yeah, yeah. Chris Herndon on the other side, limited Wednesday with the hamstring. That would seem to be a positive move, but he was limited throughout right. week eight. He was inactive for that game. He was limited throughout week nine. He was active for that game, but did not play at all. I think it was a matter of they didn't have enough <laughs> actually healthy players for that game. So Chris Herndon's going to have to progress beyond limited to be an option. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think we need to hear Adam Gase actually say that Chris Herndon's going to play this week before he becomes a guy we can trust in fantasy lineups. Not only that, we need to hear him say we're excited to get Chris back and we're going to get him some work. Otherwise, he's staying far away from a lineup until I, I see a reason not for that not to happen. That's fair. Le'Veon Bell, knee and ankle issues. We're going to have to watch those. No practice Wednesday. We'll see where he goes from there. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you're starting him if he ends up playing. If not, I really have no idea whether it's going to be you know Ty Montgomery. It's going to be Montgomery, Bilal Powell, and maybe Josh Adams. Some type of committee in, in a backfield that has been unproductive, even with Le'Veon Bell back there. Yeah, this is a Ty Johnson situation if there's no Le'Veon Bell. I'm not playing any of those guys unless I have to. Yep, that makes sense. In, for the Jets, Jamison Crowder, Robbie Anderson, I think they're relatively comfy plays in a 16 bye week, and that's it for me on the Jets side. Yep, agreed. Atlanta at New Orleans, the Saints are 13-point favorites, a 51-point over-under. So it's the second-highest over-under for the week, and yet the Falcons are still tied for the third lowest implied team total. That seems like it's too high, but after these two te- these two teams combined for 80 points in the Saints overtime win at Atlanta in week three of last season. Otherwise, the Falcons managed only 17 points in their second meeting last year in week 12. They lost that game by two touchdowns. 2017, the Falcons only managed 20 points and 13 points in the two meetings with the Saints. So I'm going to trust the Vegas numbers here. The Falcons did manage 510 yards and 20 points against Seattle the last time out. But before that, 10 points, 224 yards against the Rams. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Saints defense has been playing well for a while now. It's always a tough place to go into and play. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Austin Hooper, you're starting all of them. Matt Ryan, to me, is like a low-end quarterback one. I, I don't think I'd drop him or, or pick up any of these you know, extremer types like a Daniel Jones or a Ryan Tannehill to start over Matt Ryan. He had five straight top 10 fantasy finishes before that game against the Rams that he got knocked out of. I just think volume, you know, playing catch up in this game, maybe some garbage time numbers late is going to is going to, you know, make Ryan a decent fantasy play. Yeah. I I wouldn't go scrounging the waiver wire for a replacement. I would have a tough time playing Matt Ryan over Jimmy Garoppolo if I have both of those guys though. I, I wouldn't it's, it's not crazy to play Garoppolo. The worry with Garoppolo is just volume. I think mm-hmm. I think we'll talk about the game. I think the Niners will be able to run the ball. Um, you know, one guy, and it'll probably be too late when you're listening to this, but I, I would use Phillip Rivers over uh-huh. Matt Ryan. And I think Derek Carr even would be a, a close call. I would play both of those guys over Matt Ryan for floor. I think Matt Ryan still beats at least Derek Carr on ceiling, but I think for floor, both of tonight's guys beat Matt Ryan. And I'll try to post this in time for people to hear that. <laughs> right. So yeah, on the New Orleans side, Alvin Kamara, limited Wednesday. It sounds like he's going to be back. He's an obvious starter. Mm-hmm. Latavius Murray, I would be more willing to play him now than I was before he started in place of Alvin Kamara. It, it, it would be tough for me to imagine the Saints pushing Latavius Murray back to like a five-touch-a-game right. guy right now. And especially in this game, if it goes, you know, how Vegas thinks it's going to, how I think it's going to, you know, the Saints probably having a big lead into the fourth quarter. I think it'd make a lot of sense for them to sort of, you know, sit Kamara um, with, with these injuries and just, you know, give Latavius Murray. I, I think Murray, 
I pencil him in for like 10 to, to 14 touches here um, in, in a quality matchup. Atlanta's played pretty well against the run this season. Um, 3.9 yards per carry um, over the last four games to running backs, but just the touchdown upside with the Saints sporting that you know 32 point implied total. Yeah, Murray should be closer to what Mark Ingram was last year than he was to begin this season. Yeah, yep. Drew Brees last time out threw for 373 and three touchdowns with a splint on his right thumb. He says he's going to wear that until it stops feeling more comfortable for him to do that to support the thumb, and apparently he's fine throwing with it. The Falcons are the fourth friendliest QB scoring matchup by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. It's tough to like anybody more than Drew Brees this week. Yep, start Brees. He's worth paying up for in DFS this week. Michael Thomas, obviously, starting him. I think I think Ted Ginn is in play this week. Um, you know, he's at home where he's been good as a Saint. He's averaged about sixty-six yards per game at home in games with Drew Brees. Falcons are, you know, one of the five worst defenses in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Um, so I think Ginn is an option. I think Jared Cook, who was a full go on Wednesday. Coming off an ankle injury is, is a nice play here just for the touchdown upside. Yeah. Ted Ginn, one snap ahead of Austin Carr for second among Saints receivers last week. Three targets in that game. He was one of six Saints to see three-plus targets. So on the fringe still, certainly an option, but a fringe option at that. Yeah. He ran a route on 78% of Breeze's dropbacks in week eight last time out there. Um, Traquan Smith is expected back this week, which I think that adds a bit more risk to Ted Ginn's outlook. I do think, you know, Smith should play a bigger role than Austin Carr was playing. You would think, but we'll see how all those guys line up. Because, I mean, we thought the same thing last year, and it often didn't happen because Michael Thomas, Ted Ginn, Traycon Smith are all more outside receivers. I know that they play Michael Thomas in the slot some, whereas Austin Carr is a total slot receiver. So sometimes that means less time for the outside guys. Yeah, Smith was healthy those first two weeks, and he played 64 and 60% of the snaps, and, and Ted Ginn was at 74 and 60. So that, that mm-hmm. was what they were going with those first. I, I would I would not use Traquan Smith this mm-hmm. week. I, I just think he I think that does add some more downside to Ted Ginn. Yeah, I would play Ginn over guys like Taylor Gabriel and Anthony Miller. Yeah, me too. Detroit at Chicago, speaking of those two guys. Bears are two-and-a-half-point favorites at home, which I think is a little bit generous. I hope that Mitchell Trubisky had the TVs on at Hallis Hall for that part. <laughs> 41.5 point over under, down a little bit from the open. It's not going to be a good spot for fantasy, especially because Matthew Stafford's dealing with hip and back injuries. He says, quote, I'm fine, but the Bears are allowing just one touchdown per game, two quarterbacks, and that's total touchdowns. They haven't allowed a single rushing score this year. There have been two good fantasy outings. One was Case Keenum's, and that was a total mirage in week three because he turned the ball over four times and managed to throw for three touchdowns. The other was Teddy Bridgewater in the game where the Saints dominated Mm -hmm. in every fashion coming out of the bye. So I would certainly try not to use Matthew Stafford this week. Yeah, so would I. Um, I will say he's had his last two trips to Chicago, he's thrown two touchdowns in both of those games. So he's been one of the quarterbacks who has had some success there, but I'm still not banking on him this week. I would use Philip Rivers over him, Derek Carr over him. I would use Jimmy Garoppolo over mm-hmm. Matt Stafford this week. Yeah, I would probably even use Ryan Tannehill over him, and then that's about the level where it, it changes. Yep. Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones are in most lineups. Jones has actually had seven targets in three of his five career meetings with the Bears as a Lion, no fewer than three catches or 55 yards in any of those games. So he's okay. Not strong, but okay. I mean, you, you've seen what Marvin Jones is the last month. Or, you know, he, he has two top three fantasy finishes, and the other two weeks he's been outside the top 60. <laughs> Get ready for more of that. <laughs> TJ Hawkinson week. Maybe it's TJ Hawkinson week. Zach Ertz, nine for 103 and a touchdown last week. Dallas Goddard added four more catches to that. 
The week before, Hunter Henry was a decent four for 47 in a game where San Diego, or damn it, the Chargers <laughs> were on the field for about seven plays total. Josh Hill, the week before that, caught a touchdown, three catches for 43 yards, and three for 43 is like 75% of Josh Hill's season. <laughs> so the Bears have been allowing plenty to tight ends recently. And before that, 10 catches among 12 targets to three Raiders tight ends in that game in England. Football Outsiders has the Bears 6th, 10th, and 13th in coverage against the various wide receiver spots, 27th against tight ends. Yep, and Chicago 28th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So I, it, would, it would make sense for more action to be funneled Hawkinson's way. And really, volume's been the only issue. Like He's he's been good. He's looked good when he's got the ball this season. Mm-hmm. Detroit is the 8th friendliest running back defense by our adjusted fantasy points allowed. The past four games have included 120-2 and two for Josh Jacobs, 142-2 and two for Dalvin Cook, 104 on 14 carries for Jamal Williams. They've allowed 13 total running back touchdowns. Every single Lions opponent has at least one touchdown by a running back this season, either rushing or receiving. And it's the first of two remaining meetings with the Lions. So David Montgomery is not only a decent option this week, mm-hmm. but this is a key point in what is the second best remaining running back schedule according to our strength of schedule numbers. Yeah, I, mean, I could see Montgomery having a big second half of the season here. It's, it seems like the Bears have sort of recommitted to him after that one game where he only saw a few touches. Um, Detroit, like you said, bad against the run, giving up 4.7 yards per carry to running backs over the last month now. They're also bottom 11 in catches, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns allowed to running backs. So, you know, there's some upside to Montgomery in the passing game, too. Yeah, I'll stop short of saying that they recommitted to him because a lot of Montgomery's work came in the second half last week, and he lucked into getting these two touchdown opportunities. But there's room for them to go in his way. They should give him more touches going forward, and this is at least a matchup that favors them going to Montgomery. Yep. Last week was a terrible game for Allen Robinson, but really it was the first really terrible game for him this year. It's the first time he was under four catches. Right. Try not to worry about it too much. Yeah, good bounce back spot here at home. You know, Detroit 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Robinson's going to see a decent amount of Darius Slay. D- Darius Slay is not a cornerback I, I fear for fantasy. I agree. Miami at Indianapolis. The Colts are 10.5 point home favorites, and this is a 405 Eastern game, by the way. <laughs> Uh, down one point from where it opened, 44-point over-under, not a great fantasy spot. The Dolphins are implied for 16.75 total points, according to the Vegas projection. It's the lowest of the week, and it's up 1.25 from the open. So they're not buying the victory last week. Vegas isn't. Not a great spot for Dolphins, especially now that Preston Williams is out. The Dolphins, who are up to 31st in Football Outsiders <laughs> offensive DVOA, they've, they've passed the Jets. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, I'm still not going with anybody yeah. outside of, like, Devontae Parker. Yeah, year. I mean, um, the, the loss of Preston Williams, I mean, that frees up a whole a lot of targets. So, you know, Parker, who I think already really should have been in, like, weekly wide receiver three range, I think that only helps him. And I know you're, you're going to hate it, but Mike Kosicki, I think, <laughs> is in play. He's averaging, oh, wow. he's averaging five targets, 3.8 catches. 49 yards over the last four games now. Um, pretty neutral matchup here. The Colts are 15th against tight ends and adjusted fantasy points. He's the Josh Allen of tight ends. He's not particularly good, but there's just plenty of room for him to actually contribute. I'll take it. On the indie side, Jacoby Brissett was a limited practice participant Wednesday, so it looks like that knee is not going to cost him any further time. The Dolphins were the fifth friendliest scoring matchup for quarterbacks on the season. Jacoby Brissett is a streaming level option this week. He is. Um, I, I want to... 
I guess, find out more about that knee. I mean, I think it, at least it's going to limit his mobility, which has, you know, been part of what's made him a decent fantasy play this Not week. that but much think, this year, though. Yeah, I mean, he's been getting, what, like about 15 rushing yards per game. I mean, it, it helps, and I think it's tough to project that if he's, you know, playing with a brace on his knee or whatever. But but the matchup against Miami, I think, puts Brissett, again, in, in that range with, like, Ryan Tannehill as a spot starter. Yeah, let's see. hundred. What's 110 divided by 8? Can you do that <laughs> in your head? It's like 15-ish. Call it 15. <laughs> we'll go with 15. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not too worried about the mobility. It certainly doesn't help that he's without T.Y. Hilton. Uh, Paris Campbell's going to be out. So not great receiving options, but uh, at least a streaming level option. Right, well, who would you play between Jacoby Brissett and Matthew Stafford this week? Uh, that's tough. I'd, I'd probably go Stafford. It would probably depend on what's on my roster already and what I have to yeah. do. If I have to drop something I like to get Brissett, then I would right. stick with Stafford. If I just have them both, I think I would play Brissett. Yeah, makes sense. Zach Pascal is a fairly obvious option at this yeah. point. I mean, six-plus targets, five-plus catches, 76-plus yards, and touchdowns in two of his past three games. He led the team in targets last week against Pittsburgh, led the wide receivers in playing time by a wide margin. He's their number one receiver heading into this game. Yep, I'd, I'd feel good if he's my wide receiver three this week. Um, again, I think Chester Rogers, the number two guy here, um, he was second among Colts wide receivers in snaps and routes. Last week, saw five targets. Um, you know, Paris Campbell saw five targets last week. He's out of the picture now, so, you know, you think those are going to be spread. Potentially a few more for Chester Rogers. so I think he's an option. Uh, the Dolphins are 28th against wide receivers and fantasy points. Yeah, not a strong option, but, again, somebody I'd play ahead of guys like Taylor Gabriel, Anthony Miller, for yep, sure. Yep. Eric Ebron should be more involved as well, but Jack Doyle is averaging five more routes per game than Ebron, and he has topped Ebron by 12-plus routes in two of the past three games, including last week. Doyle, I think, is like a fringe top 12 tight end this yep. week. Ebron does still lead him by one red zone target for the season 6-5, to five, according to NFL Savant. Yeah, I think they're both in play this week as lower end tight end ones. If you're picking between the two, I would go Doyle. He's just consistently been ahead of Ebron in snaps and routes. Even, even last week with T.Y. Hilton out, Ebron only ran a route on 49% of the dropbacks. Mm-hmm. It is the friendliest running back scoring matchup since the Chiefs for the Colts back in Week 5, so it's a nice spot for Marlon Mack. Yeah, about as good of a spot as you could want as a big home favorite for Mack. L.A. Rams at Pittsburgh. The Rams are 3.5-point favorites on the road. Low over-under, though. Not as good a fantasy spot as you might imagine. Brandon Cooks has already been ruled out because of his concussion. That means Josh Reynolds is in the lineup. Cooks left the Cincinnati game early back in Week 8 before their bye. Reynolds played 88% of the snaps. Finished second on the team with eight targets, three catches for 73 yards and a touchdown, plus a rushing attempt in that game, which is what you do when you're a a wide receiver for (laughs) the Rams. Yeah, Yeah, so Reynolds has eight games over the last two seasons in which he's played 80-plus percent of the snaps. So, you know, basically the games where either Cup or Brandon Cooks has missed. In those games, he's averaged 6.6 targets, 3.4 catches, 49 receiving yards, and .75 touchdowns per game. So, you know, I, I have some concerns about the Rams' passing game in general here, and we can talk about it with Jared Goff, but I do think just for the touchdown upside, I think Reynolds is in play as a wide receiver three. I, got, I would use Reynolds over Chester Rogers. Yes, I would do that as well. Two targets in the last game for Robert Edwards, who is having a goofy season. He is sitting on his fewest yards per target since 2015. That was his second-to-last year in Buffalo. So his final year with the Bills... He had more yards per target than he has so far this season. He is, Robert Woods is down in yards per route run this season. He was at 2.17 in 2017, his first year with the Rams, 2.05 last year, down to 1.52 this year. And, you know, those numbers are a little bit hard to figure out against each other, but that ranks 55th 
among 97 wide receivers with at least 20 targets this year. He's also seen only five red zone targets so far, according to NFL Savant. That's tied for 70th in the league with guys like Ryan Griffin, Gio (laughs) Bernard, Tyler Higbee, who's on his team. So, I mean, Robert Woods is still starting most weeks Mm -hmm. in a fantasy lineup, but he is absolutely not on my buy low list. No, me either. I don't really know what to make of Robert Woods. I feel like he's just sort of taken the brunt of the Rams offense, taking a step back in general. One note to maybe be optimistic about him this week, Steelers have allowed the most fantasy points to slot receivers this season, and Woods has actually run 40% of his routes from the slot, so the matchup's decent for him. Okay. Cooper Cup, Todd Gurley, fairly easy starts. Jared Goff is pretty well in the QB2 territory yeah. against what's been a tough Pittsburgh defense. I'm not sure I would start Jared Goff over Ryan Tannehill. I'm not, I'm not sure I would either. Um, I mean, For one, it's road Goff, and those splits have continued this season. He's averaging 279 yards per game on the road, but just 1.5 touchdowns per game. And then Goff struggles when pressured, and the Steelers are one of the you know highest pressure rate defenses. Um, Football Outsiders has them second in adjusted sack rate, and PFF has them first in pass rushing grades. So I think they get pressure on Goff here, and I think he struggles. At home, he's Jared Goff. On the road, he's just Goffle. <laughs> yep. What do you think about Gerald Everett this week? His, his snaps were down last time out. I think that was more about the game flow against the Bengals, and I think they just didn't really need him. Um, he averaged 8.5 targets per game over the previous four there. Steelers, tough to figure out. Football Outsiders has them third in tight end coverage, but they're 27th in adjusted fantasy points allowed. So Everett's in the mix as a low-end tight end one. Like I, I would still lean Everett over like an O.J. Howard. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I would too. Pittsburgh has gotten better in coverage since Minka Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. arrived, and that's a specific area of the field where Gerald Everett's going to frequent. I agree with you the last time out. I mean, they pulled Todd Gurley early. They were running plenty. They didn't have a reason to keep with the tight end who is the receiver. They like yeah. Tyler Higby better as a blocker, so I wouldn't read too much into this playing time there. I like Gerald Everett going forward. I don't think it's an awesome spot this week, but he's probably in my lineup. Yeah, and I mean, I think Brandon Cooks being out can't help, can't hurt Gerald Everett. I mean, even if Reynolds soaks up most of those targets, it could mean a few extra for Everett. Mm-hmm. On the Pittsburgh side, James Conner was limited Wednesday with his shoulder injury. Mike Tomlin said Wednesday that he's, quote, optimistic that Connor will play. I mean, if Connor's active, mm-hmm. he's a pretty easy start. Jalen Samuels, though, even if James Connor's active, Jalen Samuels is in play. We really don't know what it's going to look like with those two in there, though, because Samuels was used sparingly over the first few weeks. Then he had 10 carries and eight targets against the Bengals in week four. <laughs> then he left week five early, missed the next two games. Then when he returned, there was no James Connor in the game. So we haven't gotten much of Full strength, both guys playing together. Yeah. yeah, and that Bengals game was when they you know broke out the Wildcat for the game. <laughs> yeah. That's when you know Samuels had his big one. He was not good on the ground last week, and in the passing game, he sort of compiled a bunch of numbers, but he wasn't anything special. So I would expect Connor to at least control the ball carrying duties. Maybe Jalen Samuels, you know, plays on passing downs. The Rams are 27th in football outsiders running back coverage, so I think there's upside for both running backs in the passing game. Mm-hmm. Juju Smith-Schuster, I think he's a high wide receiver three at mm-hmm. this point. Deontay Johnson, wide receiver four because of the bad quarterback. And Vance McDonald is a guy I hope I don't have to use. So, um, yeah, Deontay Johnson, I would try to avoid him because I think he's going to see a bunch of Jalen Ramsey because, you know, Juju's still in the slot for 61% of his routes this season. Vance McDonald, um, you know, his usage has spiked back up here. He's ran a route on 90-plus percent of the dropbacks in each of the past two games now. Um, so, you know, he, he to me is is – Back, back on the radar, you know, he, his usage was down and I was avoding him, but I think he's back in play now, now that he's, you know, running your route most plays. I'll give him in play. <laughs> I would play Rhett Ellison over Vance McDonald, though. I think I'd go Vance McDonald there. That's only because of the names. <laughs> 
Carolina accurate. Oh, by the way, the defense, we've, we've yes. mentioned that they've been excellent. I, I think they're in play, even though you would generally think that you don't yeah. want to play a defense against the Rams. But there's been lots of pressure on Jared Goff this year. He has lots of turnover upside for a defense in this spot. If I have Pittsburgh, I'm not looking for a defense to play over it. Yeah, I like the others. I haven't looked at DFS pricing yet, but I, I'm planning to use Pittsburgh, especially in tournaments. I think you know people are going to avoid them just because of the Rams matchup. Mm-hmm. Now on to Carolina at Green Bay, where the Packers are five-and-a-half-point favorites. And honestly, this looks like a pretty boring game because both defenses yeah. are just good enough that it's not. Uh, it doesn't look like a, a shootout spot. And Kyle Allen's the quarterback on one side. He's dealing with a shoulder injury. He did have a full practice Wednesday, but, you know, it's something. I just, there's nothing in this game I'm excited about. It's Christian McCaffrey versus Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, but the guys that we know were starting. So on the Carolina (laughs) side, Curtis Samuel sat out with a hamstring injury. He missed two practices last week around a full Thursday workout, Mm -hmm. but that was with a shoulder issue. Did play 75% of the snaps in that game. Has seen six-plus targets in every game since week two. We're going to have to watch the hamstring this week. Yeah. He's really, either way, he's a boom-bust wide receiver three. He, he is. That's exactly what he's been. He's been boomer-bust. Um, he, he does have six-plus targets in seven straight games, so the volume's been there. He's just His targets are just downfield, and I think that just makes him more volatile. DJ Moore has been steady and probably better than even I've realized so far this season. He's actually seen eight-plus targets in four straight games now. He has five-plus catches in each of those four games. Still sitting on just one touchdown this season on 45 catches, so I think he's in for some positive touchdown regression. Yeah, Curtis Samuel is basically Will Fuller, complete with the injury <laughs> that we have to watch. Yeah, uh, Will Fuller without Deshaun Watson. Yeah, the DJ Moore, by the way, eight plus targets and five plus catches in four straight games, so he's a pretty easy start. Greg Olson, the matchup looks neutral for him. It's a positive matchup by adjusted fantasy points allowed, but Football Outsiders has the Packers 14th in tight end coverage. Olson over the past five games has averaged. 4.2 targets, 2.2 receptions, 22 yards, and one game in which I will start Rhett Ellison over him. Yeah, I'm, I'm using Ellison over Olsen. Nice. Um, here, here are Olsen's um, PPR finishes over those last five games. 42nd, 60th, 15th, 30th, and 23rd. So you know, he's, he's just been hurting you lately. I didn't know he had 60 tight ends. That was that must have been the week he didn't catch any passes. That's what it was. I, I, I just gave him 60 because there were 59 <laughs> tight ends that, that you know, had a stat. That makes sense. And the Panthers' D on the other side is a run-funneling matchup. It's second toughest on quarterback scoring. It is the fifth friendliest to running back scoring. Football Outsiders has them third and pass D, 32nd in run D. Aaron Rodgers is still a starter, but don't be surprised if he finishes like 12th or 13th this week. Yeah, uh, I agree. You're not going to bench him, and it's a pretty tough matchup. I, I do like Devontae Adams to sort of bust out here. Um, he returned last week. Didn't have a big game, but all the usage was there. You know, he played 84% of the snaps, saw a team high, 11 targets. It was a 31% target share. Adams still hasn't scored this season, and he's usually touchdown machine so I, I i think he gets rolling this week yeah Devonte adams certainly in lineups I, I both running backs i mean it's yep. a great spot for running backs aaron jones looks like the top guy but hasn't been as much of the touch and playing time leader as you yeah. would think from the fantasy numbers so i think jamal williams is also in play i would certainly play him over guys like uh gus edwards and daryl henderson we talked about earlier yeah so would i pretty easily um i think williams to me is like in there with like Latavius Murray, he's in, he's in that territory. So over the last four games, it's been 44 carries for Aaron Jones, 26 for Jamal Williams. So kind of a clear lead there for Jones. The targets, though, have been 22 to 19 in favor of Jones, so basically split down the middle. Jamal Williams also has six total opportunities inside the 10-yard line versus just two for Aaron Jones. So 
I don't know if I'd say Williams is their goal line guy, but at least if he's the guy in there, they're willing to keep him in there, you know, for the touchdown opportunities. Yeah, I think they're pretty much splitting things at this point. I don't think that they're taking one out to go with the other in that range. Yep. Uh, Jimmy Graham is okay, but I would rather play either Jason Witten or Jack Doyle here. Graham has topped 20 yards one time in the past four games. He has one touchdown among his past five. He has two red zone targets in that span. Both of those came against Oakland, and that span included all of the time that Devontae Adams missed. So the running backs got a big target boost when Devontae Adams was out. Jimmy Graham did not. I hope that we see more Jay Sternberger the rest of the way this season. That'd be fun. Yeah, I mean, Graham's usage has been decent. He's seen four-plus targets in five in the last six games. He just hasn't been producing, and the Panthers have been pretty tough on tight ends. They're seventh in adjusted fantasy points allowed. Red Ellison. Yeah, 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 I would use Red Allison over Jimmy Graham. All right. Packers defense is a nice option this week. They should get pressure on Kyle Allen, and there's yes. there's turnover upside. For sure. Minnesota at Dallas in the Sunday night game. The Cowboys are three-point home favorites. Adam Thielen is out Wednesday. Don't bet on him playing with his hamstring injury, I would say. No, I think he's going to miss. Um, that obviously hurts Kurt Cousins, but I, I would I'd stick with Cousins if you know if he's your guy. I wouldn't go dropping him or picking up you know Ryan Tannehill. Cousins has finished as a top nine fantasy quarterback in four of his last five games. The only time he didn't didn't was that Redskins game where he you know put up I think it was a two hundred eighty something yards. He just didn't he just didn't throw a touchdown. Yeah, Kirk Cousins still a fringe starter. I agree. Three plus touchdown passes in three of his past four games. Dallas has been a tough matchup by the fantasy numbers, but. I, I, I don't believe that it is a truly tough pass defense. I think it's one of those that's a bit of a mirage, and I think Kirk Cousins will be fine in this I play. never have much to say about the Cowboys matchup in general, even <laughs> even against the run. It's just it's, it's kind of a – I think it's just a middling defense. Like you don't you don't upgrade guys. You don't downgrade guys against Dallas. And Minnesota is a fairly boring team to <laughs> evaluate because it's pretty straightforward. I mean, Stephon Diggs is going to see plenty yeah. of targets. You're obviously playing him, and there's really not much sneaky. If you're looking way down the list, then I guess you can use Ola B.C. Johnson, yeah. but I'm not – going to get him this week. I do think that both Vikings tight ends are in play. The Dallas D is the third friendliest scoring matchup for tight ends. Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith have each caught three or more passes in each of the past three games. Yeah, and Rudolph playing a bit more than Irv Smith, running a few more routes, but Smith actually has 15 targets over the last three games to Zach Ertz, or sorry, to Kyle Rudolph's <laughs> 14 targets. So yeah, it's pretty close there in targets. And yeah, I agree. I think Especially in this matchup, um, I think the tight end should be a focal point of the passing game. Yeah, and with Thielen likely out, there should be targets available here. Yep. On the Dallas side, Amari Cooper was limited Wednesday. Listed with a knee and an ankle injury. The ankle was already there, so the knee is the new thing. He hurt that Monday night against the Giants, and then he didn't practice Thursday. According to David Hellman of the team website... Uh, he thinks it's more about the short week than anything. Quote, the Cowboys are reportedly optimistic that Cooper will practice Friday, will play on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I hope that we don't head into Sunday not knowing whether Cooper's going to play because the Sunday night yeah. kick's going to make that tough to figure out. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where maybe like old BC Johnson, if you're, you know, if you need someone just in case Cooper ends up inactive, you, you could, you know, snag him and stash him for now. If, if Cooper's active, I'm using him. You know, he's seems like he's been banged up all season, but he's been producing in spite of it. Yeah, he's been a monster, too, at home since he joined the Cowboys. He's played 10 home games with Dallas, including last year's playoffs. The average stat line for Amari Cooper in those games is 8.7 targets, 7 receptions, 118.3 yards, and 1 touchdown per game. 
Yeah, and the Vikings actually have allowed the seventh most adjusted fantasy points to wide receivers, so not a scary matchup. Michael Gallup has slowed down a little bit, just 16.7% of the targets over the past three games. He did not reach 18% in target share in any of those games. We have seen Zeke Elliott's targets up over that stretch, but he had zero on Monday night. In that game, it was Randall Cobb getting eight, Jason Witten getting nine. I don't believe that either of those things is something that's going to continue. So I think yeah. we'll see more for Michael Gallup. So, you know, be aware of the lowered volume. But I I don't think that there's a reason right now to say, oh, crap, things are going yep. wrong for Michael Gallup. Yep, I agree again, especially in this matchup. And, and if Cooper is at all limited, that would help Gallup. So I'd, I'd feel good with Gallup in a lineup this week. It is a good spot for Jason Witten, though, against the Vikings. They have allowed the fourth most receptions per game to the position. No touchdowns, <laughs> so the fantasy numbers don't look big. But five games of five-plus catches for tight ends. It's interesting because they, you know, they're eighth in adjusted fantasy points. Like you said, that's a touchdown. Football Outsiders has them second in tight end coverage. So I don't know if it's a great matchup. You know, Witten has been steady. He has three catches in all eight games this season. Travis Kelsey and Austin Hooper are the only other, or, sorry, and George Kittle. You know, those three stud tight ends are the only tight ends with three plus catches in every game this year. Mm-hmm. So he's up there with those guys. He's, up, he's up there. He's up there. I hear it. Seattle at San Francisco on Monday night to close things out. The Niners are six point favorites, even against Seattle. The Niners are the toughest quarterback scoring matchup by a wide margin. According to our adjusted fantasy points allowed, they are sapping 44.4% of your quarterback scoring when they face him. Carolina is next toughest on that list at 19.3%, less than half of the impact of San Francisco. And there are two other defenses within two-tenths of a point of Carolina. So it's a large gap. Yeah, really tough spot. You know, Football Outsiders has the Niners number one in pass D. PFF has them second in their coverage grades. They're second in their pass rushing grades. So Definitely tough matchup. It's it's Russ though, um, and we did see Kyler Murray have some success against the Niners mm-hmm. last week. And they're they're similar quarterbacks, you know, mobile guys that are also accurate. I would start Jameis Winston over Russ if I had that choice. I would start Kyler Murray over Russ. I would start Philip Rivers on Thursday night over Russ. Outside of that though, I, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not going to use any of these other you know fringe guys over Russell Wilson, even in this matchup. Yeah, I would throw in Drew Brees and Dak Prescott because if you're looking all the way back to draft time, I think those are guys that you might also have on a roster Mm -hmm. along with um, Russell Wilson. But yeah, otherwise, I'm not going to grab like Ryan Tannehill or Daniel Jones or even Jimmy Garoppolo to start over Russell Wilson. Nope. Chris Carson, Tyler Lockett are near must starters as well. I'm not touching DK Metcalf this week, though. (laughs) Yeah, I I wouldn't either. I mean... I don't know. I mean, the, the guy's good, and his usage has been good. We'll have to see about Josh Gordon. I think, you know, if he plays, that that, that could start to hurt Metcalf's playing time and volume a bit. Obviously a tough matchup. Um, the Niners have allowed the fifth-fewest fantasy points to left-wide receivers, which is where Metcalf plays. I'm going to go ahead and give you DK Metcalf's stat line for this game. <laughs> Eight targets, uh-huh. two catches, uh-huh. 19 yards. Now, if you get just two, they're going for like 40. No, it's going to be 19 <laughs> yards. All right. On the Niners' side, Jimmy Garoppolo, interesting at the streaming level, but he didn't crack our top 12. He does have two red zone touchdown passes in each of the past two games. He has seen six and seven red zone attempts in those games, according to Pro Football Reference. That's up from previous, what he was averaging uh, before Emmanuel Sanders arrived. We'll Mm -hmm. see if that's a trend or if it's just a two-game thing. Seattle hasn't allowed big quarterback numbers overall, but... 335 and two to Jameis Winston last week, 460 yards to Matt Schaub the week before. Baker Mayfield had two total touchdowns. Jared Goff threw for 395. Andy Dalton threw for 418 and two. So 
it's it's kind of a neutral matchup, but there's room for it to be a good one. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the matchup, and I, I like how Garoppolo's played, especially in that Thursday night game against the Cardinals. And, and I like that he has, you know, a legit number one wideout now in Emmanuel Sanders. The, the fantasy production just has been big because it's such a run-heavy offense. Mm-hmm. Garoppolo's only finished as a top 15 fantasy quarterback twice all season. And the, the Seahawks aren't good against the run either, so I think the Niners should be able to pound the ball on the ground here. Mm-hmm. Last week on the ground was the first time that Matt Breida led a healthy Tevin Coleman in carries, 15 to, what was it, 11 or 12 yeah, 11 on that 11, one? Yeah. But he matched Coleman against the Panthers before leaving that game early. He matched Coleman against Washington before leaving that game early, so... It looks like we should at least expect a pretty even split mm-hmm. in carries here. Yeah, um, it makes sense. In the five games since Coleman's been back from his ankle injury, it's been 77 carries for Coleman to 58 for Breda. Um, both guys have seen 11 targets. The clear, the clear split is at the is in you know near the goal line. Um, Coleman has 10 carries inside the 10 yard line to just two for Matt Breda over the past five games. So Coleman does remain the much better touchdown bet. Mm-hmm. But both of those guys are well within range for using this week. Top 20 plays, both of them, I would say. Yep, definitely. Uh, and Emmanuel Sanders looks like a wide receiver, too, yeah. a, a starter in your lineup until further notice. Red zone touchdowns in each game so far as a Niner, and a positive matchup here for him against Seattle. Yeah, he's seen 24% of the targets over the past two weeks after, you know, just, just joining the team. Seahawks 19th and adjusted fantasy points allowed to wideouts. And then I would try not to use anybody. Obviously, George Kittle. We're not going to bother yep. talking about him. And if you absolutely need another one, Debo Samuel looks like the number two. I, I was going to say, yeah, for like showdown lineups, I think Debo has kind of emerged as the clear number two wideout. Mm-hmm. That's going to do it for this Week 10 preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see our full Week 10 rankings. Get customized start set advice, find streaming picks, and get some DFS help. We'll be back on here Friday with our FanDuel and DraftKings shows for Week 10. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. Jared is at SmolaDS. I am at ShoutDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Jared Smola and the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm at Shout saying thanks so much for swimming with us. 